Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we continue our study. Remember, Moses is giving his kind of like a final exhortation to the second generation that passes over into the promised land. Now, in the previous chapters, we've looked at some very uh, beautiful and devastating passages regarding the history of Israel after the Exodus. And, you know, it's so beautiful because we start to see this example through the Old Testament of reflecting back on history to see the handiwork of the Lord in our lives. And these are things that we can remember the highs and the lows of our lives and not to reflect and, 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 and get down upon the things of the past is to relive the past because in Christ they are forgiven. Now, when I say in Christ, that means you and me, we are abiding in Christ. In Christ, they're forgiven. But at the same time, to reflect back, learn, and understand, knowing that the Lord is reactionary and how he works in the lives of his people, Old Testament and New Testament, for our advantage. Because we're about to see in future passages here in the book of Deuteronomy, the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And in, you know, I, I speak this from experience, but every time I've had low moments as a Christian, low moments as a Christian, it's always a direct result of disobedience. Always, 100% of the time. It's not to say that the Lord doesn't want to bless, but at the same time, it's just like a parent with a child. You know, it's like, you know, a parent wants to reward a child and bless a child and do good things for the child. But if the child's a ruffian, if the child's, you know, uh, a, a mess cat everywhere he or she goes and causing trouble and disturbing this and just as a ruffian, so to speak, then the parent has still a parent in the role of a parent, but then the parent has a more disciplinary approach to rearing up this child. But the same thing applies to our Lord in our relationship to him and his with us. And at the same time, we reflect back on these passages of history, just as Moses is doing here for our advantage. Because remember, as New Covenant believers, we look at these passages, we study these passages, but never leaving the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And that kind of ties in with our study. It just so happens on Sunday about, you know, the dangers of a return to the law, which was a problem in the church of Galatia. And so we don't return to the law, but we understand the purpose of the law. And so, and we're going to look at passages of the law here, and I speak of the actual Ten Commandments here in the passage of Deuteronomy. And so here in verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which, which I teach you to observe that you may live. Now, notice what we see here already in verse 1, when Moses says, O Israel, listen and then he also says here, which I teach you to observe. This is an Old Testament example of, you know, you see listening and observing, but an Old Testament example of being not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. You know, for you and me both to hear the word of God, study the word of God, and not just, you know, go out and live our lives and do whatever. No, we live our lives, but it's in to please and honor the Lord, and we apply what we have learned from the word of God. 
either by reading and studying or by hearing. If you're listening to this message or, you know, in, in, in hearing the word of God. And it's so beautiful when that happens because at those moments, you and I, we have a choice. Are we going to apply the word of God or are we going to deny the word of God in our lives? And so he says, uh, 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 the, uh, uh, listen to the statutes and the judgments, the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live. And so you start to see that there's a, a reason for the instruction. It's not just so that we can be, become, you know, knowledgeable of the Bible. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's not so that we can become knowledgeable for the sake of knowledge, because remember, knowledge is going to fail. Knowledge is going to fail, just like we studied in, 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 in a first, first Corinthians chapter 13. Knowledge will fail. But at the same time, knowledge as a gift of the Holy Spirit, instruction in righteousness and having this understanding of the word, it's not so that we can get puffed up and boast and say, wow, look how awesome I am. I have a, a doctorate in theology. I have a bachelor's degree and, you know, theological studies and all these things. And look how awesome I am. That's not the reason for it. I mean, that's kind of uh, opposite of them. I and if it's, if it's to boast, that's... That's not good. It's for life. That you may live, he says. That you may live. And it's so beautiful because you and me, we apply the word of God in our lives. Not just so, you know, you can't read the Bible as literature. You cannot read the Bible as literature. I mean, you know, people do it. But it's to no benefit. Why? So they can know the Bible? Do, do people read the Bible, study the Bible as literature just for the sake of knowing the Bible? If, if, if that's the case, there's, there's no value. There's no profit. We have to read the Bible, study the Bible, know the Bible, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But then at the same time, it's not for the head knowledge. It's so that you and me can apply it to our lives so that we can please the Lord and live lives that honor the Lord. Why? So that we may live. You see? That we may live. You know, of course, there's life in, in this life, on this side of eternity. But at the same time, don't forget the life to come. That we may live. He continues here in verse 1 and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You see this is the promised land. You see these Old Testament passages about the promised land. Well, don't forget that we have a promised land too. It's paradise. Paradise. Remember the thief on the cross which we studied a couple or which was mentioned in one of our studies recently. And you know, he says to the Lord on the, the, the on the cross he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus Christ says to him, today, not tomorrow, not next week, today you will be with me in paradise. You see the promised land. Now, in order for that former thief and now believer in Jesus Christ, in order for him to go into the promised land, death was requir required. The first generation of his life, dead and then Born again. Now, his his time period from being born again to actually dying wasn't that long. And praise be to the Lord. Kind of like at the uh, like a Cinderella moment for him, you know, at the very last moment, boom, he dies and he's with the Lord in paradise. 
And praise be to the Lord. You and me, we have a promised land. But in order to reach that promised land, the first generation within us, individually, that first generation must die. You know what that is? That's the old man and the old woman. To take that old man, that old woman, and reckon him, reckon her dead. You see? In verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now, remember, we study passages, we study the, we're in the last book of the Torah, the five books of Moses, which is the Pentateuch. And we study the Torah, it's the, the entirety of the word of God, but we look at these Old Testament passages as new covenant believers, you know, and everything points to the Lord. Everything points to Jesus Christ. Remember, when the Pharisees said, oh, we're of Moses, we believe Moses and Jesus Christ. How, how can you believe Moses when he wrote about me? Moses wrote about me, he says. Remember, Moses is a servant in the master's house. And so we study these passages as new covenant believers. We look at passages such like this and we see beauty in the law. Yes, beauty in the law. Remember, the law is still in effect. The law is still holy, but at the same time, there's a tremendous danger attached to the law, a tremendous danger attached to the law. And what is that? That's that sway to pull, uh, attempt to pull us off the rock, which is the new covenant, and back into the law. And it just so happens we're studying that in Galatians. Now, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study through the introduction to Galatians. Did I say first Galatians? I meant Galatians. But uh, uh, listen to our study. Uh, uh, the int- it's called Introduction to Galatians because it's very, very important to understand. If you're listening for the first time, uh, uh, listen to that message because it's not to say that the law is not a good thing. The law is absolutely a good thing. There is a functionality behind the law if one uses it lawfully, but it is not made for a righteous person. And we studied that on Sunday. So make sure you get caught up. And, you know, we're starting a new book on on Sunday. We had the introduction last Sunday, but listen to that message. And then we're going to start our study this Sunday, Lord willing, through Galatians chapter 1. And so we see passages like this because there's a big problem that's happening in the church today. It's a seduction. It's a seduction because, you know, he says here in verse 2, that you may keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you. And it's written in the Bible. I mean, we're studying the Bible. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's captured in the canon of Scripture. And so the problem, the danger is that, you know, people can read this and be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey what the Bible says, and I'm going to do what is written here in verse 2, and I'm going to follow the commandments of the Lord that the Lord gave uh, uh, to Moses. Un- an unsuspecting Christian would be like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm good to go. But the danger, the seduction lies in leaving Jesus Christ and returning to the law. That's a problem that happened to the church in Galatia, things of which we're going to study on Sunday. So I cannot emphasize this enough. Listen to our studies through Galatians and follow along. Listen to our study through the introduction of Galatians. It's very important in these last days. And so we look at verse 3, and what Moses does is he reflects back to a dark period. There are previous dark moments, but this is particularly dark in 
in the regard of worshiping Baal. He says this in verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Now, remember our study through Numbers 25? Our study through Numbers 25, that was hardcore. It was very difficult. These difficult passages. And this is when, you know, Balak, remember Balaam and Balak? And Balak as a type of Satan. How many times did you hear us mention that to, to see Balak as a type of Satan? And what does he do in order to make Israel fall? What does he do? Does he send his mighty warriors? No. You know who he sent? He sent the women. He sent the women. Now, Militarily speaking, he'd be like, well, you know, he's going to send, you know, biologically the weaker vessel, spiritually the weaker vessel too. But, you know, the, we'll table that for another study through the New Testament. But you're going to send a, a, a troop of women to the camp of Israel to defeat Israel, the, the mighty warriors, the, the men who were able to fight. To, to, you're going to send the women as the, the, the fighters, the warriors? Militarily speaking, it's kind of like it's stupid. But no, the objective was to get them to fall, to get Israel to fall, but internally. Because what happened? The women came into the camp, and then the guys, they started to get, you know, like, you know, interrelational. They had the sex, sexual contact. And in the course of time, what happened? They're bowing the knee to Baal. You see? Balak sent the women. He didn't send the warriors to defeat Israel. Because remember, he was trying to get intel from Balaam. How do I get Israel to fall? How do I, how do I defeat Israel? How do I de defeat God's people? You see, and through the counsel of Balaam, he got, he got the idea. Oh, this is how I do it. I can't defeat the military. If, if I send my warriors and my strong men, we're going to be defeated. So how do I get Israel to lose? How do I get them weaker? How do I get them in a position of weakness? He sends the women. You see? He sends the women. And if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study through Numbers 25. It'll break your heart. It'll break your heart. But Satan, you know, Balak is a type of Satan. Satan does the same thing today, making mighty men fall. How? Does he send the big mighty warriors? No, he uses women. He uses women. He makes men stumble. He makes men fall through pornography, through the sexual addictions, through sexual behaviors. All He does it to women too. Making women stumble using sex. It's a big problem in the church today. Same, same tactics. And Moses reflects on this. Your eyes have seen, in verse 3, what the Lord did at Baal Peor. It wasn't good how the Lord chastised and disciplined and judged the camp of Israel. Now, you read this and you're like, wow, you know, Moses, I thought, I thought you were supposed to give us a pep talk before, before we enter the promised land. I thought you were supposed to tell us, encourage us, build us up, Moses. You know, tell us good things. We're about to ready, ready to go enter the promised land. And you want to reflect back on this? Come on, we, we know it's such a, a sour moment in our history. Why are you doing that, Moses? It's so that the people, that next generation, it's so that they do not forget, so that they remember. And he says in verse 3, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you, who, from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. 
You see how Balak used the women as a lure. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. Balak was a fisherman too. He, with evil intent to get Israel to fall. And he was successful. Not in the entirety among the men. Not in the entire camp. But in a large chunk of the camp, he was successful. Balak was as a fisherman using the women as a lure. And he was successful. The men of Israel, the warriors of Israel, they took the bait. And in the course of time, they take the bait and all of a sudden they're bowing down to Baal. All of a sudden they're bowing down to Baal. You see, there's that intersectionality or the, you know, that, uh, 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 that intercourse. Remember, we studied that in our, in our study through Numbers 25. There's that intercourse, but then there's that spiritual aspect too. You kind of see it too. I mean, say, I, I've talked with Christians before. I'll say former Christians. Believers in Jesus Christ. It's, oh, I got a new girlfriend. I got a new girlfriend. It's like, okay, you know, like, is she a Christian? But, you know, I want to make sure they're equally yoked. This is like in council, informal council, but council nonetheless. Oh, I got a new girlfriend. I got a new girlfriend. Oh, you know, uh, cool. You know, I'm, I'm glad you're happy. But, you know, is she a Christian? No, 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 no. She's Catholic. You know, they believe in Jesus Christ, but, you know, she's Catholic. Well, wait a second. Like, we've studied, we've talked about this already. You know, and plus you, your your previous girlfriend was Catholic too. Oh, but you know that that that's no no big deal. That's no big deal. Here, look, let me show you a picture of her. Look how that that picture is going to influence that. You know, okay, you know the Bible says don't be unequally yoked, and you know all these things. Oh, but you know I'm going to marry a Buddhist, and it's like okay, don't do that, don't do that. Oh, but look at her, look at her. Okay, now it's permissible. Now it's okay because she looks like this. It's okay. Stupid. Stupid. And so what happens? You have the, you know, all of a sudden in the course of time, the two people get married and you say, wow, beautiful marriage. Marriage is good. And, you know, within the confines of scripture, marriage is incredibly beautiful. Now, me personally, I don't like teaching about marriage. You know, I'm kind of weird in that regard, but listen to our study through first Corinthians and you'll understand but then at the same time, you know, oh, they're, they're married, a nice married couple. But you know what happens in the course of time? They get married, they have babies, their babies are being baptized in accordance to Rome. And all of a sudden, the guy who used to worship Jesus Christ is now worshiping Mary, going to midnight mass, doing all these things for mass, praying to Mary to rescue the dead relatives. It happens in the course of time. So oh, you're such a legalist, you're such a legalist. How, how is that legal? The Lord says at the onset, you know, don't be unequally yoked. Oh, but he's so, he's so cute. She's so cute. I'm going to go. I know the Lord doesn't like this. I need, I know I'm not really yoked equally, but look, he's so cute. She's so cute. And so I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then the kids are baptized into Rome. The catechism, the whole nine yards, then the, all of a sudden they're, they're doing midnight mass too. Lighting the candles, praying to who? Not to Jesus Christ. They're praying to Mary in accordance with doctrine, which is anathema to Christ. Now, that whole, what I just said in the span of a couple minutes, that, you know, that could take 10 years, 20 years. You know, having kids and kids that grew up to be young adults or young teenagers and they're worshiping Mary. But the same thing happens. 
Oh, he's so cute. She's so cute. And I don't care if he's Catholic. I don't care if she's Catholic. I don't care if he's Buddhist. I don't care if she's, you know, whatever, Harry Krishna. I don't care because she's so cute because he's so cute. And in the course of time, what happens? What happens? And that's what we see here. The people, the camp of Israel, all of us, oh, look, the, the Balak sends the women down. And then, you know, they have the sexual intercourse. And in the course of time, these women, hey, let's, let, let's worship. I know you want to worship God and what he did for you in Egypt. I know that's, that's good. That's fine and dandy. But look, you know, we had some good loving, you know. So now I'm going to worship Baal. Why don't you join me? And then you have the stupid man, okay, okay, I'll, I'll worship Baal. And then all of a sudden, the men, warriors, formerly warriors of God, are now bowing their face to Baal. You see? And that's what the Lord is saying here. In verse 3, you, or that's what Moses is saying here. But he says, your eyes have seen in verse 3 what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. You see? Baal of Peor. In verse 4, now many men failed. That's for sure. Many men fell. They took the bait. But you, he says in verse 4, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. That generation that took the bait, they're dead now. They died, judged by the Lord. The generation, now, I don't know what it was like in that camp. You know, a, a guy who has, you know, the, the women come down the mountain, you know, from, from uh, sent by Balak, the women come down from the mountain and mingle with the warriors, the, the, the warriors of Israel. And, you know, a guy has a lady at his side, another guy has a lady at his side, another guy has a lady at his side, another guy has a lady at his side, and big old smile on their face, eat, drink, and be merry, everything's going to be fine and dandy. And I wonder who were the men who didn't take the bait? Who knew I don't I don't want anything to do with those women. Look, they're like floozies. Floozies in the camp. Look at how they dress. And I know that they worship Baal. I know they might worship other gods, but it's certainly not the Lord I worship. I'm not taking the bait. I wonder how they felt when you have all these men. Hey, come on, let's go do this. Look, here, here's a lady, you can have her. Here's another one, you can have her. And I wonder all the beautiful, beautiful, be real mighty men, real mighty men who says, nope, I'm not taking that bait. I'm not taking that bait. I'm going to worship the Lord. And, I'm, you know, the Lord is going to give me a lady that also worships him. And nope, I, I'm not taking, I don't want this. And now look, they're alive. Those men, those warriors, they're alive. The ones who took the bait, they're dead. In verse 4, but you who held fast to the Lord your God. Now, this word held fast, it's to cleave. You know, that the same word we see for cleave. Uh, well, not the same, it's similar to the word we see for, you know, when a husband leaves mommy and daddy. When a, when a man leaves mommy and daddy and, you know, cleaves to his wife, which nowadays men don't like to do. You have boys who, you know, they have... 
wives, I meant boys, a, a boy who has a wife, and I say boy figuratively. They're adults, they look like men, but they behave like little boys, and they still haven't cut that umbilical cord because they like mommy and daddy. It's not to say that hate mommy and daddy, but men, you have to say, look at mommy and daddy and say, bye-bye, bye-bye, and you cleave to your wife. You see, put on your big boy pants. No more diapers, no more binkies, no more bottles. Grow to the full stature of a man. Turn to mommy and daddy. I love you, mommy. I love you, daddy. But bye-bye. That's the similar thing that we see here in verse 4, except it's hardcore. It's hardcore. Say you have a little son, a little daughter, and you're walking through a storm. You're going through a storm. The wind is beating on you, and you're going to cleave to baby girl. Hey, baby girl, hold my hand hard. You're cleaving to her. But in a tornado, if you got to like get from, say you're in a shelter in a tornado, and that shelter is about to fall, and you're like, whoa, I, gotta, I need something bigger. I need to go to a bigger fortification. Well, you're not just going to hold baby girl's hand. You're going to pick her up and hold her tight and you're going to run to the next. That's what that word is like to cleave, but hardcore cleave. It's not just cleave like baby girl, hold my hand. It's cleave like baby girl, I'm picking you up and I'm squeezing you tight. And you also, you're squeezing me tight. And we're going to run. I'm going to run from point A to point B. And we're going to get to a better fortification because the storm is here. That's what this word is here is to cleave, but it's a hardcore cleave. But you who held fast to the Lord your God. Remember, it's not just cleave like hold on. It's cleave like hardcore hold on. You who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. Every one of you. The men who didn't do that. They took the bait. They were with the women. The women that were sent by Balak. They're dead. They're gone. These other people who are now going to cross over into the promised land, they're alive. You see? You say, wait a second, you know, why, why, why are you emphasizing this so much? We already studied this when we were in Numbers. Why are you emphasizing this so much? Because the same exact thing is happening today. Through sexual desires, sexual temptations. That's what happened. Men, men are falling. Women are falling through their own sexual desires. Women are falling. Pornography is growing among men, but it's growing at a fast rate among women. You see, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. You see? And inside the church, you see all these people, men and women. Oh, yeah, look, this is okay. It's permissible. All these things. It's no big deal. Look, we can behave like this. We can act like this. We can be sexually active. We can do all these things. And I'll have a boyfriend here. I'll have a girlfriend here. We'll be sexually active. And then, you know, if that doesn't work out, I'll go to the next boyfriend. I'll go to the next girlfriend. We'll be sexually active. And it's like, wait a second. You look at the world. You look at the church. And you see absolutely no difference. But the Lord sees a difference. The Lord sees a difference. And he sees who are those who are holding fast to him. He sees that. And not just like holding the hand of baby girl in the storm example. He's like straight up who are hardcore cleaving to him, like holding on to him for dear life. Not just in the little tiny windstorm, in the big fat tornado. You see? And just as is written, 
that when you hold fast to the Lord your God, those are the ones who live. They are alive today. Every one of you, you see? And the Lord knows. The Lord cleans house. The Lord cleans house. Sometimes he uses his vessels, as we studied in the, the Corinthian letters, the vessel Paul, vessel Chloe, vessel Titus, some others too. But sometimes the Lord does it himself and he cleans house. He says in verse 5, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments. Now, understand that even Moses teaches this model of in then through. Remember in, in our study in First and Second Corinthians, how the it's always in and then through, how the Lord does the work inside of you and then through you. Now, Moses here at this particular jump juncture, the Lord is doing the work through him. But at the same time, when we look back in Exodus and we see the encounter of the Lord and Moses, you see that the Lord did the work inside of Moses. You, you almost see Moses, his own maturity. When Moses would, you know, like, like I, I can't do this, Lord. I, you know, I, I can't do it. And then the Lord gave uh, 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 Aaron you know, as, as his helper. But then at the same time, you see Moses, all of a sudden, when he falls on his face before the Lord, when he didn't want to do that, the people would say, you know, he would go to the people and the people would say this. And then finally he's like, well, he falls on his face before the Lord. And then as you see his own maturity and growth, you see that he doesn't go to people anymore. He just falls on his face before the Lord to seek the counsel of the Lord so beautiful when you see this growth pattern in Moses. But you also see growth in the, the, the apostles. What about your own growth? Our growth in Christ, our own maturity. And we, we just got done studying First and Second Corinthians. There's a huge danger behind being a baby. Yeah, you don't need me to revisit that. But we can see it ourselves as a huge danger behind being a baby. And this model of in, then, through, it even happened with Moses. It's not nothing new. It's not nothing new. We see it all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And a lot of times people are so eager. Oh, Lord, I want to be a vessel. I want to be used of you, which is a beautiful desire. But I wonder if his response is, okay, no more getting drunk. No more alcohol, no more crack, no more meth, no more sex, no more pornography, no more this. I wonder if the Lord is, you know, I want that too. And we pray to the Lord, oh Lord, I want to be a vessel. I want to be used by you. And I wonder if the Lord is, I'm on board with that. That's what I want too. I strongly desire that too. But I cannot do that with the present state that you're in. I cannot do that. Not because it's like, you know, like a form of hatred. But he knows that it's dangerous for God's creation. Not, you know, there's that misalignment between a vessel and the Lord. When that vessel isn't fully cleaved to the Lord. There's that aspect. But then the other aspect of if God were to send some person out like that, it would be dangerous. What military commander takes a five-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl and sends them into a combat zone. Puts a rifle in his hand, takes another rifle, puts it in her hand and says, okay, I want you to go through that battlefield. 
What commander would do that? That would be foolish. Stupid. You see? That's carnally speaking. The Lord doesn't do with us. He doesn't do that with us. He wants us to be safe. And safety is 100% always in Christ. Always. That's the safety in Christ. Now, does that mean that the Lord can't use young people? No, we see it with David. We see, look at the camp of Israel when everybody was afraid of uh, 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 Goliath. Everybody was afraid he can't. And David, little David comes on scene. He wasn't afraid. You see, he knew the Lord. What about little Timmy? Little Timmy. Not a pastor yet, but little Timmy. You see? And when he became a pastor, Paul says, okay, let no one despise your youth. Now, age has age in accordance to Adam has nothing to do with maturity in Christ. I know 15-year-olds who are leaps and bounds more mature than 50-year-olds. You see? Now, carnally speaking, in accordance to Adam, that's impossible. A 15-year-old cannot be more mature than a 50-year-old in accordance to Adam. But in accordance to Christ, it is absolutely possible. A 50-year-old who's been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and always on a steady diet of milk. But then you have a 10-year-old who becomes a Christian, grows and matures, becomes age 11, age 12, age 13, understands 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, doesn't want to play games with the Lord, 14, 15, 16 years old, and is maturing in Christ, understanding the dangers of the law, how the law is beautiful, but there's dangers behind the law, 16, 17, Wow, that 17-year-old is a mighty, mighty warrior. Mighty, mighty warrior in Christ. But the 50-year-old who's been on a steady diet of milk, you see? And so we see here in verse 5, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgment just as the Lord my God commanded me. See, in and through, in and through, that's the model. It's not through than in. A lot of times, Christians, unsuspecting Christians, baby Christians that don't have this understanding because their pastors don't teach them. They want to do it backwards. They want to do through than in. doesn't work that way. That's dangerous, very dangerous. Because you want to open yourself up to the pneumos, it's very dangerous. Hearken to our study through 1 Corinthians. It's always in and through. He says here in verse 5 that you should act or translates as do according to them in the land which you go to possess. You see? So now you see this blueprint, a little mini blueprint here. And how Moses taught, but as the Lord gave to him. The people hear, and now they do. I mean, it's kind of basic. I mean, when you boil it down, it's kind of basic. Teach, hear, and do. That's pretty simple. That's why Paul had some beef with the church in Corinth. You know, to, to, to that you should. I fear he says that you should, to, that that you could leave the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, walking with Christ, he doesn't make it difficult. It's pretty easy. What he says, we do. What he says, we apply. Boom. That's I mean, that's pretty easy. I mean, a five-year-old could do that. A 10-year-old could do that. A 20-year-old could even do it. 
But why can't a 25-year-old? Why can't a 30-year-old? You see? The Lord says it, we do it. The Lord says it, we apply it. You see? The Lord says don't do it, we don't do it. It's pretty easy. You know, he is the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. Those are his words. Why would he make it difficult? Oh, believe in me and you shall live. Oh, by the way, you got to climb Mount Everest. Oh, and by the way, you got to swim across the Pacific Ocean. Oh, and by the way, you got to walk, you know, no water and you got to walk through the, this arid desert. He would. If that were the case, his yoke wouldn't be easy and his burden wouldn't be light. No, that's not the case. And so what do we see here? In verse 6, he says, Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding. You see? And it all emanates from the word of God. This is your wisdom and your understanding, which comes from the words of the Lord. How the Lord says, Moses, say this to the people. Moses, tell this to the people. And Moses, okay, Lord. And he says, okay, people, this thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You see? You see Moses as teacher pouring into Israel. What is he pouring? Is he pouring his own doctrine? No, he's telling him what the Lord has allowed him, what the Lord has given him. You see? He's telling the people what the Lord has given him. Now, there are certain provisions that Moses, not as an addendum, but remember that how Moses wrote in the law the uh, uh, provisions for divorce. And the Pharisees asked them, you know, asked Jesus Christ, why did, why did, Mo, why is there in the law this, this thing of the divorce? And it wasn't Moses per se. It wasn't the Lord per se. It was for the men. He says, because of the weakness of your heart, because of the hardness of your heart, which is a sign of uncircumcision, which is a sign of unbelief. It's because of you. That's why. It's because of you. And then Jesus Christ points to pre-law. Do you remember Eden? Do you remember the garden? You know, how many wives did Adam have? You see, one. Praise be to the Lord. Pre, Pre-law. Jesus says, okay, Pharisees, you want to look back to the law? You're not looking far enough. Look further back. Look further back to paradise. And remember, paradise was lost. And paradise can be gained again, but the only way that can happen is in Christ Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. I'm just the messenger. Those are His words. He says in verse 6, This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You see an Old Testament example of Israel as salt. Israel as salt. Now, we're going to see passages in the future. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but we're going to see passages in Scripture where there's no flavor in Israel. And we're going to see how the Lord deals with that. But understand that it's a re when Israel loses its flavor, it's a result of Israel's own choices of disobedience. But the same thing applies to you and me today when salt loses its flavor. People say, you know, oh, we have a culture war. We have a culture war. Absolutely, we have a culture war. And the church has lost it. 
the church has lost it. Jesus Christ says, you are the salt of the earth. When salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. And look at this culture war that we're in. It's being, we are being trampled underfoot by men. Who do we blame? The politicians? No, look at the church. Look at the church. Oh, but the church has valiant warriors. Do they really? Does the church have valiant warriors? Maybe there's a tiny remnant of valiant warriors. But what are these people, men and women, given into? What have they given themselves unto? Pornography? Sex? Drugs? Alcohol? Meth? What, what have they given themselves over to? You see, oh, look, they have valiant men and women in the church. Maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. But today, you see, it, the Bible teaches us what happens when salt loses its flavor. What happens to a community? What happens to a culture? What happens to a land? What happens to a nation? Now, We're living in very, very dark times. Very dark times. And it's going to get darker and darker and darker. I haven't, I've reserved comment about uh, uh, what we see happening in Afghanistan. I've said a little bit, you know, encouraging all of us to pray. Pray for the church. Pray for all you know, the Christians, the women, uh, 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 military people, veterans who, uh, families of dead troops. It's, a lot of prayer for everybody. And I've reserved comment because I'm angry. <laughs> I don't like it. And I can't speak when I have this certain emotion when it comes to anger. I, I cannot speak. I cannot speak on the subject matter because that's it's it's infuriating. But to take this emotion and give it to the Lord, that's what we do. No matter what emotion it is, anger, fear, rage, sadness, sorrow, lust. You think, oh, I, I'm too ashamed to give the, the dirty, the, the seemingly dirty emotions to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. What, who else are you going to give it to? You know, because if you keep it all bottled into yourself, you know what's going to happen? It's, it's, it's like putting, you know, like shaking a bottle. No, that thing's going to fizzle up and it's going to explode. That's what oh, I, I want to give the Lord only the good stuff. Well, you know, he takes the dirty too. Look at what he's done inside of you and me. He takes the dirty too. Give it to him. Give it to him. And, you know, when you give, that requires you and me. When you give, when we give, that requires you and me to let go and release. You see, that's what happens. So I reserve comment about certain things regarding Afghanistan. I don't like it. I see the prophetic implications of, you know, long-term, short-term. There are major, major prophetic implications, things of which we'll discuss in the course of time. But I reserve comment because I don't like it. And to take that anger that it, it brews inside of me and give it to the Lord. Lord, I don't like this anger. I don't like this, Lord. Take it. And in order for me to give it to him, I, I, this is very personal. In order for me to give it to him, 
I have to release, not to be an Indian giver. Here, Lord, take it, and then, oh, give it back to me. You see? No. Release. Release. See? It's for all of us. In whatever emotion, it's for all of us. That's what we do. In these last days, the hearts of men will fail. Why will they fail? Why is it that they fail? There are multiple reasons, multiple aspects, multiple uh, impetus and uh, stimuli. It's, it's, it's the attack. The rise of the Antichrist spirit, it's going to get heavier and heavier and heavier. And he doesn't just hate you, this Antichrist spirit. He wants you dead. He wants to kill you. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's a slow process. But that process has already begun. You see? And so we give it to the Lord. And so you see, in Moses, in giving these exhortations to Israel before they cross over to the promised land, you see this Old Testament example as Israel, Israel as salt. But we're also going to see in future passages, future chapters of the Old Testament, that Israel loses its flavor. But so do we. As a church, as Christians, the threat is always there. And yet, we fight. We train and we fight. We fight, we come back, a little R&R, you know, we bandage up, you know, take care of the wounded. And we train some more and then we go out and we fight again. That's what we do. In verse 7, for what great nation is there that God has so has that that for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. You see, he's not absentee. In this world, we see absentee moms and absentee dads, and it's sad. It's it's terrible. I've talked to kids with absentee parents. It's devastating to them. But with our Father in heaven, He is absolutely no absentee. He is very present. Very present. Now, if you're listening and you're not a believer, I say to you, I love you. God loves you, but cut it out. Don't be an unbeliever anymore. Not just that because we're living in dangerous times, but remember Jesus Christ says, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. And now I've talked to atheists even. Non-believers, other religions. They say, wow, the world is so crazy. You know, there's this world, it's like it's falling apart. But to say, did you know that the Bible prophesies that this is going to happen? Here, look at these passages. And they're almost like dumbfounded. Like, oh my goodness, I, I never knew the Bible said that. Oh yes, the Bible says that. And there's more. The Bible says this too, and it says this too, and he says this too, and he says this too. And then you start to see people's hearts. They're like chipping away at the hardness, you know? When they look at these passages, chipping away at the hardness. And remember what Jesus Christ says. He says, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you not will believe, you might believe. And if you're not a believer and you're listening and you hear me say, cut it out. You know, it's like, wow, well, what kind of gospel message is that? Cut it out. Well, that's what I say to you. Cut it out. Don't be unbelieving anymore. Be believing. 
And if that's you and you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, hit pause and then listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Not a time to play games. If you're lukewarm and you're playing games with the Lord, cut it out. You listen to that message too. Hit pause, listen to that message and recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Very, very, very dangerous times that we're living in. We need to be salt. We cannot be flavorless salt. We need to be salt. You know, have you ever seen like the uh, the fake salt? You know, it's like, you know, the healthy salt. You, you try it, you put it on like a salad or something. And it's like, because you need some flavor. And you put it on the thing. It's like, what is this? It's like dirt. There's no flavor behind it. So what do you do? You throw out the salad. Well, that's what happens when salt loses its flavor. No, we need salt. We are the salt. If you don't have the salt, that's an, a sign of being lukewarm. And you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Don't just be a, you know, a, a little bit for the Lord. Be hardcore for the Lord. Just as verse 4, you who held fast, well, we hold fast to the Lord. And not just a little, you know, a little hand-holding. No, hardcore. Lord, I'm holding on to you for dear life. You see? Hold fast to the Lord. In verse 8, And what great nation, what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in as are in all this law which i set before you this day remember this is given to them by the lord their whole prior experience was in egypt their whole prior experience was in bondage bondage in egypt and then the lord rescued them out and he gave them the law it's given to them by the lord and so he says here in verse 9 only take heed to yourself notice this is singular now This is singular now. <clears throat> Only take heed to yourself. When I emphasize that it is singular, he's speaking to the multitude, but yet this wording here is still singular. So Moses understands this concept of the whole leaven and remnant, which is also continual. The whole leaven and remnant. And it just so happens that we study this through our studies through the Corinthians. First and second Corinthians. Now you understand this concept of the whole leaven and the remnant. You see? And so when Moses says here in verse 9, only take heed to yourself. Yes, he's speaking to the multitude. But understanding that within the multitude... He has a desire that 100% of them continue to hold fast to the Lord, to cleave strongly, to hardcore cleave to the Lord. He has this desire for all of them, 100%. But when you understand the concept of whole leaven and remnant, you understand that not everybody is going to do that. You see, this is something that Moses has learned by experience. And it, it's devastating to say that because we've studied passages from Exodus to get us to this point. Devastating passages. But it's all a result of disobedience. When he says in verse 9, only take heed to yourself, picture him as saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm speaking to the whole, but I also speak individually. You see? And that's what Moses is doing here in verse 9. Take heed to yourself. No plurality. And diligently keep yourself. Lest you forget. You see? Lest you forget. What happens? The people will forget. 
the people will forget. But it's almost like a mini message within a message. The people are going to forget. I tell everybody, don't forget. But I also speak individually. You, you know, I love your mom. I love your dad. I love your husband. I love your wife. I love your kids. I love grandpappy. I love grandma. I love all the uncles. I love them all. Your friends love them all, but I speak to you individually. Don't you forget. You see? In verse 9, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. You see? To you, he's saying, among the remnant, you have you have eyes to see and a soft heart. You see? And it's so beautiful when you see passages like this because you understand the heart of Moses. And remember, he's a servant in the master's house. And all these things written of old are for our admonition as new covenant believers as we stand on the rock and we peer back. And yes, we can't, we're not just looking, you know, uh, uh, one click out, so to speak. Not two clicks. We're looking far back. We're standing on the rock, which is Jesus Christ as New Covenant believers, and we're looking back and remembering these passages in the Old Testament for our own admonition. That's what, that's what Paul says to Corinth. These things were written for our admonition. He says it to the Roman church too. That the things of old were written for our admonition, for us to learn, for us to understand. And it doesn't just end with them. For this generation or this remnant. It doesn't just end for them. He says, and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Just as we see in the new covenant. With Eunice and Lois. Mama and grandma. You see? And their witness. And how they poured in to little Timmy. Beautiful, beautiful little Timmy. And in the course of time. Little Timmy is now big Timmy. And he's a pastor in the church. You see, in the little, he was in the, the bubble of Eunice and Lois. And uh, the, the bubble of Paul came into town. And then Timothy transferred from the bubble of Mama and Grandma to the bubble of Paul. And Paul poured into him and trained him and taught him, equipped him, taught him how to fight, taught him how to engage, taught, taught him about combat, taught him about all these, spiritually speaking. And then Timothy becomes a pastor, an overseer. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. Not just the next generation of righteousness, but the next generation of leadership. He says in verse 10, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Hebron, in Horeb. Now in Horeb, this is before the giving of the law verbally, which was the spoken word. Remember, the law was given three times. The first time orally, which was rejected by the people. That's in Exodus uh, 19 and 20 rejected by the people the second one was on tablets which was also rejected by the people and when i say rejected by the people it's of their own behavior and the third one which was taken by the people was not without blood not without sacrifice an old testament example of the law pointing to the fulfillment the sacrifice of jesus christ 
And so we see here in verse 10, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and, and that they may teach their children. Then they came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So you see, it's verbally. The law was given orally, verbally. In verse 13, So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. The Ten Commandments. That was verbal, which was rejected. And remember, it's so sad because in Exodus 20, verse 9, you see the people, they're telling Moses, Moses, let not God speak with us. Let not God tell God we don't even know. Tell God we know, no, not to speak to us. It's so sad. You see? That's the verbal law which was rejected. And these are things that Moses is saying, you guys, remember this. Remember this. You're going to go over to the promised land and praise be to the Lord. But hold on to him. Don't forget him. Don't forget him. He's good. He's good to you. He's good to us. Look at what he's done. Even when, and, and don't forget, Moses has this internal, like in his own internal conversations with the Lord, when Moses interceded for the people and Mo the Lord was like, you know, Moses, I'm going to step aside. I'm going to kill these people. I'll start fresh with you, Moses. And Moses interceded. You see? Moses, in his encouragement to the next generation of righteousness, to the next generation that's passing over into the promised land, this encouragement doesn't exclude the bad points. Remember the Baal, you guys? Don't forget the Baal. Do you remember the women came down the mountain and yes, you didn't take the bait and praise be to the Lord. But when you get into Canaan, the, the same things are going to be there. There's going to be a million Baleks as a type of Satan. There's going to be a billion types of Baleks. Why? To get you to stumble and worship the Baal. Don't take the bait. Same thing applies to us. Don't, don't forget. Look, the Lord is good to us. Look at what he's done to us in the past. Yes, he chastised us here, but look what he's done thus far. You see? Don't forget. And that's what Moses is saying to the people here in verse 11. You came, you, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. And that mountain, it burned with fire in the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke. Don't forget, you guys. In verse 13, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. The Ten Commandments. And he wrote them down on two tablets of stone. Now, don't forget that. So you see this little jump in verse 13 because it was given orally, the, the Ten Commandments. But then the Ten Commandments were given on the two tablets when Moses was in the mountain. Moses came down the mountain with Joshua. Comes down the mountain. And what did they see? The golden calf. You see? In verse 14, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you. This is so powerful. Because you look at the history of Israel post-Exodus. And you look at this history and you see the ups and the downs. And how the Lord was faithful to his word. I mean, he didn't change his word. 
He was faithful to everything he said, faithful to all his promises, and faithful to Israel. But you know who also was? His servants, such as Moses. The obedience of Moses in fidelity unto the Lord. And the Lord commanded me in verse 14 at that time to teach you. You see, to teach you. It's not, remember, the Lord gave Moses the blueprints. Put yourselves in Moses' shoes for a moment. Put yourself in Moses' shoes, sandals. You're receiving the blueprints. You're having this beautiful intimacy with the Lord. And you're receiving these blueprints. And then the Lord says, okay, you know, you better get down to your people. And so Moses walks out of the cloud. Joshua's right there, undefiled from the camp of Israel. Joshua's right there. The two walk down. They expect to see Aaron and the elders there, but they don't see. I wonder where El Moses, or, uh, Aaron and the elders are. They get down, they get further down, they hear the music, they hear the, the ranting and the raving, and they're like, wow, what's going on here? What is happening? They hear the voice of Aaron, okay, Aaron's in the camp. They come further down the mountain, what do they see? The golden calf, worship of the calf. Now, all the things that the Lord, had, now remember, you're, you're in Moses' sandals. And you reflect back and all those things that the Lord gave you, the blueprints and your special intimacy with him about the priestly garments, the construction of the tabernacle, the purpose of the tabernacle, sacrifices, everything that the Lord gave you. And then all of a sudden you get down the mountain and you see the golden calf and the people. What would you do? Would you walk away? Oh, I don't know. The, 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 it, it must have been a figment of my imagination. Oh, I don't know. Look, you know, the Lord told me this and I get down the mountain and I don't see it. There's a disconnect here. I don't get, I don't really get it. So, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be a messenger like the Lord wanted me to do. I'm not going to tell this to the people like the Lord told me to. I'm not going to do this. You not you you don't you not only see the fidelity of the Lord unto the people in accordance to his word and fulfillment of his promises, but you also see the faithfulness of Moses to the Lord, but for the benefit of the people. You see? Now if you're a pastor, if you're listening and you're a pastor, take that to heart. The Lord called you to be a pastor. You might have a thousand people. You teach the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You have a thousand people, 500 leave. You keep teaching Genesis to Revelation, teach the truth. Then of that 500, 200 leave. A hundred more leave. 50 more leave. Oh, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. You go to church. You study. You, you spend all this time in the Word and you're studying. You're praying before the Lord and you go to teach. You get to the pulpit and you just have one person in there. One person. You teach. You teach. You see? And you pour in. Because the Lord is at work. The Lord is at work. I mean, what if Moses had the give up mentality? 
I know the Lord gave me these blueprints, but you know what? I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Look, you know, he told me, he told me about the tabernacle. He told me that Aaron was going to be the priest. He told me about, you know, all these things, the elders, they were going to be godly people that come. And I see, I look at all the sex and all the things that are happening in the camp and, you know, all the nudity and, you know, the golden calf and all this. No, I'm done. No, Moses, in obedience to the Lord, stayed faithful to him. And remember, included in the blueprints was how to be cleansed. And you look, I mean, remember you're in Moses' sandals. That's a lot of cleaning that has to happen. A lot of cleaning that has to happen. You see? You remember when Moses was telling Pharaoh, let my people go, so that, uh, let my people go, and then he would also include the animal. Remember when Pharaoh was like, okay, you guys can go, but keep, uh, keep the animals here in Egypt. Moses was like, no, because the commandment of the Lord was to take the animals. He says, I don't even know why we're going to need them, but the Lord says we need the animals. It's like, well, obedience, even, even not knowing why. But to come down the mountain, see the golden calf, and it's just you and Joshua. That's it. It's just you and Joshua. And you come down the camp and you see this and, you know, you see what the people are doing. You look to like straight ahead. You see all the people. You look to the side a little bit. You see the golden calf. You look to the other side and you see all these animals from Egypt. All these animals from Egypt. Then you look over at Joshua and you're like, whoa, there's... There's a lot of blood because there's a lot of sin and the Lord wants to clean house. And we roll up our sleeves. Okay. It's handled business. You see? Now, I glossed over quite a bit, but that's the generality of what happened. And it's so beautiful because the Lord desires people to be right with him. He gives the blueprints to Moses and Joshua's right there. The next ge next generation of leadership. You see? And the Lord in verse 14 commanded me at that time. Remember, in verse 13, he says, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. And that's the oral version. And then he says, he wrote them on two tablets of stone. That's the first set of the two tablets which were destroyed at the golden calf. Were destroyed. You see? And in verse 14, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you. You see? In, in their state of fallenness. In their state of disobedience. The Lord commanded me at that. Not when Israel's like, you know, on fire for the Lord. Not when Israel is on their pinnacle, so to speak. But when they're in the pit. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe. That you might observe, which is to do. That you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. You see? In their state of fallenness. Their lowest of the low. The Lord says, okay Moses. Teach these people. You see? 
And you look to the left, you see the golden calf. You look to the straight ahead, you see the people. You look to the right, and you see a whole group of animals. And you remember when you told Pharaoh that, you know, everybody needed to come, including the animals, and you even told Pharaoh, I don't know why we need the animals, but the Lord wants the animals. Now you know why, Moses. Now you know why. Because there's a lot of sin in the camp, and my people need to be clean. You see? so beautiful in verse 15 take careful heed to yourselves now it goes back to plurality in verse 9 you say take heed to yourself singularity but in verse 15 it goes back to plurality take careful heed to yourselves for you saw no form when the lord spoke to you at horeb out of the midst of the fire Out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves, make for yourselves a carved image. You see, idolatry, idolatry and people who create God in their own image. You see, oh, I believe God, but I believe God in my own way. You ever ever talk to people like that? Oh, yeah, I believe the Bible, but not all of it. I believe in this little portion and this little portion, but not the entirety, just these little parts. I, li- I like to read the Psalms only because the other parts, too much judgment. I don't like to read the Old Testament. I like to read the New Testament only. Uh, some of the Psalms, maybe a little bit of Proverbs because I don't like to read the judgmental stuff. You see, but if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. You see. If we judge ourselves, how are we going to judge ourselves? We have to know the word of God. And here in verse 16, that's what happens. Lest idolatry come into the camp. This is for when they go into the promised land. We don't want idolatry. You're going to have a million Baliks trying to attack you. But don't forget the things that can happen within the heart of a man, within the heart of a woman. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth this is all idolatry and take heed Take heed, he says, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them. You see, it's the worship of creation instead of the creator. To worship creation instead of the creator. This is also a danger in the church today, what Paul warns about in Romans chapter 1. You see, it's to worship creation. What about yoga? So many Christians who do their yoga, they do their salutation, the sun salutation, the salutation to the moon, salutation to the hosts of heaven, the stars, and, you know, the sun salutation, the moon salutation. They do all these things. Well, who's better to please? Are you going to please Shiva? Oh, I'm going to go do my yoga. It's everybody's doing it. I'm going to go to my special class. I'm going to go do my hot yoga and do all these things. It's good for the muscles. It's good for this. And I'm going to do my sun salutation, my moon salutation. I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to acknowledge and worship Shiva. 
instead of Yahweh. I'm going to worship Shiva instead of Elohim. I'm going to worship Yahweh or Shiva instead of Jesus Christ. This is happening in the church. And these things written of old are written for our admonition, for our warning. Oh, you're too hardcore. I go to yoga class. I do my hot yoga for my stretching and for my back muscles, for my leg muscles. I do it for the stretches. Well, if that were the case, just stretch. You know, just stretch. On the carpet, you know, just stretch. You don't have to worship Shiva. You don't have to go and do your sun salutations and worship Shiva for the purpose of awakening the Kundalini spirit. Listen to what they say. Listen to what the yogis say, what they what they teach, what they practice. And the whole purpose, you know, the the seed, the, the seed that they have for the Western cultures. So that Shiva, for the name of Shiva, they know what they're doing. It's the unsuspecting Westerner. Oh, I do it for my muscles. I just like to stretch. So stretch. Stretch. And in so doing, don't, don't worship Shiva. Don't awaken the Kundalini spirit. That's what yoga is. The Kundalini spirit, which rises from the base of the spine and wakens your third eye. It's demonic. Oh, you're too hardcore. You're too hardcore. Is it a small thing? You see? And that's what the Lord is saying to the people through Moses. Take heed in verse 19, lest you lift your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage or as a signal, as a, a flag or as a beacon. That's what the Lord says. Remember, these things are written for sign for days and months and years and also for feasts and festivals. Turn with me really quick to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Notice what we see here. The heavens declare. The firmament shows. Day unto day utter speech. Night and night unto night reveals knowledge. You see? But yet who are those who have ears to hear and eyes to see? He said, oh, it's just nighttime. Oh, just another day passes. No big deal. Oh, the heavens. No big deal. The firmament. No big deal. Who has eyes to see and ears to hear? Verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Verse 5, which is like... A bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Very interesting. 
like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. There is none hidden from its heat. There is nothing hidden from its heat. You see, nothing hidden from its heat. And in verse 5, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Very interesting. And what is written in Deuteronomy, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 here. In verse 19 at the end, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole of heaven as a heritage or as a signal or beacon. You see? And what do people do? Moses is warning Israel. Don't worship the sun, don't worship the moon, nor the stars. Don't worship them. Don't create these images in verse 16 lest you act corruptly and make for yourself a carved image. Don't worship creation, but understand that the Creator has given as a sign, as a signal. You see? And what does he say of the sun in, in Psalm 19, in Psalm 19, verse 5, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber? That's a pretty big signal. That's a pretty big flag. That's a pretty big beacon. Like the bridegroom. In verse 20, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan. That was his punishment, the punishment for Moses in his disobedience because Moses misrepresented the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, Moses, you can look, you can see, but you're not going to go there. You can see the promised land, but you're not going to go there. And that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. In verse 22, but I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Remember, the first generation is death, including Moses, that first generation. Remember, Moses was also at the transfiguration. But the first generation dies and even still, Moses remained faithful. Moses was, you know, okay, Lord, I, I can't go to the promised land. Okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm done, Lord. No more. No, Moses didn't say that. He remained faithful to the Lord, understanding that the Lord chastises and disciplines those whom he loves. And Moses was chastised. For his own disobedience because he misrepresented the Lord. Remember, that rock was Jesus. That rock was Jesus. In verse 23, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. Now, as a result of forgetting the Lord's, or Moses says here, take heed to yourselves lest you forget. Now, this is a result of forgetting. He says, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything 
which the Lord your God has forbidden you. That's what happens when the Lord is forgotten. People start to make their uh, a carved image for themselves, a carved image in the likeness of whatever they please, a carved image of creation, the sun, the moon, and they start to worship the carved image instead of the Lord. They start to worship creation instead of the creator, the Lord. They start to worship Shiva instead of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord has been forgotten. That's what happens when you see verse 23. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Oh, I forgot the Lord. So look, I'm going to do a little crack. No big deal. Oh, I forgot the Lord. I'm just going to do a little sex, a little pornography. Have a couple girls on the side. No big deal. No big deal. A couple, go see some strippers. No big deal. Oh, yeah, God is love. Once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. You see? So oh, I'm going to go to might do my hot yoga. I'm going to go do my little sun salutation, my moon salutation in accordance with Shiva. I'm going to awaken the kundalini spirit so I can have a third eye. No big deal. I'll cheat on my taxes. No big deal. Do some of the occult. My Ouija boards. No big deal. Is it a small thing? It's a huge deal. And remember, the people of God here, Israel, they have not yet crossed over into the promised land. They're going to. And in this dissertation of Moses, and this in this final exhortation of Moses, as he pours into the people, he tells them, do not forget. And he hearkens back to touchy subjects. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? Do you remember when the Lord did this? Well, do you remember why he did this? These are things that I want you to carry forth into the promised land because I don't want you to forget. That's what Moses is saying here. And even to this multitude of people, he pinpoints this seek for your, or, or in verse nine, take heed to yourself. He speaks individually, speaking to the whole. But understanding that among the whole, there might be, there not there might be, there will be leaven in the camp. And in that separation, understanding that there's going to be a, a remnant. But in order for there to be a remnant, individuals need to be addressed. Hey, these, you're going to see in the camp people going off into crazy town, but you. But you. Don't go into crazy town. Remember the covenant between you and Jesus Christ, you and the Lord, and honor him. People will hate you. People will make fun of you. They'll scold you. Treat you like dirt. But honor the covenant with the Lord your God and Jesus Christ. You see? And remember, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And it's so powerful because you're going to see, as we continue our study through the Old Testament, you're going to see passages where you see multitudes of people forget the Lord, and you're going to see what they do in forgetting the Lord. And it's going to break your heart, disgusting, disgusting things, idolatry, worshiping Baal, the asterisk, all different kinds of things. But in the midst, you're going to see a little tiny remnant you're going to see one person, one little boy, a female, male, old, young. You're going to see it. 
And it's so beautiful because you see Moses here speaking to the people, but then in verse 9, take heed to yourself. The multitude, you know, they have their own choice to make. But as for you, and that's what I say to you today, the multitude, they're going to make their choices. You can pour, you know, all the listeners today, I'm going to pour, I'll pour into you my guts, spiritually speaking. (laughs) But how many times do you hear us say, it's just you and me individually, and I speak to you? You see? Because things are going to get crazy. It's going to get worse. Remember the last day's church, the four categories of the last day's church, which is either false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. The church is going to become a madhouse in the last days, and it already is, but it's going to get worse. But as for you, you see, take heed to yourself. And it's so powerful. When we see passages such as this, when you see these exhortations of Moses to say, hey, you guys, don't forget. You see the exhortations of John the Baptist, of Peter, of Paul. Don't forget, don't forget. And you see them fighting warriors, male, female. Chloe, Lydia, Phoebe, Lois, Eunice. Beautiful, beautiful people. He says in verse 23, take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant, the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make for, make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Now, remember what happened with Aaron's kids, two kids, his two sons consumed by fire and the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, you see. Oh, what's the big deal? It's just Buddha. So I'm going to worship Jesus Christ and I'm also going to worship Buddha. No big deal. Get off my back. Oh, so what? What's the big deal? I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. I'm also going to go to midnight mass and pray to Mary and purgatory. I'll pray for my dead relatives and that Mary can rescue them. What's the big deal? The Krishna. So what's the big deal? The Hare Krishna's in accordance with the Krishna. What's the big deal? Shiva. Let me do my yoga. I want to do my hot yoga. What's the big deal? Remember, he's a jealous God. Is it a small thing? He's a jealous God. And when you have intimacy with him and your love relationship with him, what, what, what's the problem with faithfulness? Why has faithfulness become an ugly thing nowadays? Now, to multitudes... Faithfulness is like icky to the multitudes. But I speak to you. Remember. Remember. I mean, we looked at in verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. Remember, which came from the, down the mountain of Balak from women. The sex. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. The men who took the bait, they're gone. They're dead. They died. Judgment of the Lord. You guys, you're alive. Don't forget. You see? 
And when the people enter the promised land, you're going to see passages of beauty. And then you're going to also see passages that will devastate you. It will break your heart. It will break your heart. You're going to see multitudes of people, multitudes Worshipping the Baals, worshipping all forms of different gods, carved images, idolatry, a lot of sex, a lot of evil things. And then the Lord calls upon the prophets. Nathan, he calls upon different prophets and says, hey, you need to tell my people, hey, I'm going to use you. You tell my people, repent, come back to me, repent, turn to me, repent, don't forget Repent, 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 repent. But the same thing is today. Repent, 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 repent. He says in verse 25, When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land, and now you're going to see this progression of sin. He says, When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land, and you see this progression of sin, and act corruptly, and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. And Moses, in this exhortation, he says in verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will utterly, but will be utterly destroyed. Whoa. Moses, come on. I thought you were supposed to give us a pep talk. Moses, what are you talking about? We're supposed to go into the promised land and you're going to talk like this? Come on, Moses. We're having this assembly here and I want to feel good about myself. We have this assembly here. I want to feel like I'm built up. And you're talking like this. Like, I, like you, 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 you call heaven and earth to that, that I'm utterly destroyed? Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And you hear us mentioned quite a bit in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division the words of our Lord. But we're going to look at verse 47 today. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, stripes, shall be beaten with few. So the, the cost, the penalty is still heavy, but it's heavier with disobedience to those who knew better. You see? For everyone to whom much is given from him, much more will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. You see, that's why the Lord tells us, count the cost. To mature and grow in Christ is beautiful. But at the same time, with maturity, the fight intensifies. And at the same time, when the separation happens at like in 1 Corinthians, the separation that happened in 1 Corinthians away from the leaven. That's like you hear us reference first grade level. But when you get into second, third, fourth, fifth, the danger is always going to be there. But at the same time, it comes at a heavier cost. Why? Because when you're in fifth grade, you know better. It's one thing if you're in first grade. 
You might know better, but not as better as you would as in fifth grade. Where it gets heavier. As you grow, as you mature in Christ, the fight intensifies, the cost intensifies, and also so do the ramifications. I mean, if you picture yourself metaphorically speaking, you're climbing up a mountain. You're getting higher and higher and higher and higher. Each grade level is a higher level on the mountain. Well, a fall at the base of the mountain isn't going to hurt as much as a fall at, you know, year 10 on the mountain. A fall at year 10 in the mountain is devastating. A fall at year one, it's sad. But it's not as devastating as year 10 because you're climbing up the mountain. And you see a lot of mighty men fall as a result of I always pick on sex, drugs, and alcohol. Those are the three biggies. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. Sometimes it's a combo. Sometimes it's all of them. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. You see somebody who's grown and matured in Christ. They're growing and maturing. All of a sudden, you throw in the sex, you throw in the drugs, you throw in the alcohol, and boom, they fall. And by the time they're year 10, they got families. They got spouse. They got kids. They have all these different things. And that fall, that is devastating. To the individual, yes. But that individual has family. And the devastating to them is huge. You see? And yet, the Lord gives the teaching about the millstone for parents. Count the cost. He presents an alternative to parents who cause a little one to go astray. It's not good. Count the cost to whom is given, much more is required. Yes, we mature in Christ, but at the same time, and we desire to mature in Christ, but at the same time, with maturity, remember, that fall from year one, year two, year three, year four, it's getting higher and higher and higher, and it can be devastating. And I don't say that to frighten you. I know that there are frightening aspects of that. But at the same time, understand that to whom is given, much more is required. And I do not say that to frighten you, but I do say it to encourage you. You might be like, wow, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in year two. I'm only on, you know, level two. And that's not an encouragement because I want to be on level 10, but that's not the encouragement. But when you're on level 10, and the sex comes, the drugs come, the meth comes, the alcohol comes, the women come, whatever happens, you're on level 10, you know what's going to happen? You're going to remember this. And you're going to say, no way, I'm not taking that bait. I'm not taking that bait because I was told, I was taught. You see? So you might be on level 2. And frightened at this admonition about level 10. Wow, he's talking about the, the millstone? Come on, what is he what he's talking about here? I, I want a pep rally, you know, I wanna I wanna listen to church, I wanna listen to a message and feel good about myself. And listen, 
The only way we can feel good about ourselves in studying the Word of God is with obedience. That's the only way. It's one of the blessings of obedience. Outside of that, if you're disobedient and you study the Word of God, you're going to feel like dirt. And I tell you from experience. But one day you're going to be on level 10. And you remember back, I remember when this guy, he told me, he said this, he said that. And then the women are going to come, the sex are going to come, the, the meth is going to come, the alcohol is going to come. And you're going to say, get out of my face. No way. Because you want to go to level 11, 12, 13, 14, and however long the Lord permits you to go. And then boom, you die. You see? On our way to glory. Praise be to the Lord. How he teaches to whom is given, much more is required. To everyone to whom much is given from him, much more will be required. That's what our Lord says in Luke 12, verse 48. And so let's go back to Deuteronomy. And that's what is written here. When Moses straight up says, look, in verse 25, you're going to get have kids and grandkids and you're going to get old. But then there's this progression of sin. But then you act corruptly. You make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord. He says straight up in verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. Not then, right here, right now. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. That you will, in verse 26 of Deuteronomy 4, that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. It's an Old Testament example of what our Lord teaches us in Luke 12, to whom is given much more is required. Now there's scary implications of that, scary aspects of that. But praise be to the Lord. Don't let this scary aspect and the fear of this cause you to be like a deer in the headlights and, and like discourage you from growth. But when you get to level 10, you're going to remember and be like, no, I'm not going to act corruptly. I'm not going to make a carved image. I'm not going to do evil in the sight of the Lord. The crack is going to come. The meth is going to come. And I'm going to say, get out of my face. The women are going to come. The floozies. And I'm going to say, get out of my face. You see? A lot of times people look at it from one perspective. Whoa, that sounds scary. That sounds scary. And yes, that's one aspect. But every coin has another side. Flip the coin. Use it as encouragement. To not take the bait of Balak. Do not take the bait of Satan. You see? Because the attacks will come. At every stage, first, second, third, fourth, the higher you get, the, the attacks are going to come. You see? And then the Lord's, you say, I want off this mountain. Well, the Lord is going to call you off the mountain. Not that you're off him, just as he did with Moses. Moses at the peak of the mountain in the cloud. Moses, go to your people. It's not Moses was, you know, climbed up the mountain and got up the mountain and he died on the mountain. Well, I mean, he dies on a different mountain. <laughs> but the Lord, they, Moses is on the mountain with Joshua, his assistant. And then the Lord says, Moses, time to get off the mountain. Look at the growth that Moses has had. Metaphysically speaking, metaphorically speaking, through the mountain. Look at that growth. And then the Lord says, okay, go off, go down the mountain and go to the people. You see? 
That's what happens with maturity. The bubble of Moses, the bubble of Eunice and Lois, the bubble of Paul. You see? The cloud, the bubble, which is a cloud. Training Timothy, training Titus, training the next generation of leadership. And then the Lord says, okay, go to the people now. You see? It's so powerful when you read the Bible. Spiritually discerned, not as literature, spiritually discerned. And so he says, and don't forget that Moses understands the concept of leaven. You know, he understands uh, the concept of the whole leaven and the remnant, which is a continual process. It's, you know, rinse and repeat. Just like Moses says, and when we, we closed our study through 2 Corinthians, when Moses says, okay, look, I'm going to come to you a third time. And if I come to you and we got to clean house, we're going to clean house. That's what we're going to do. We cleaned house in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if we got to do it again, we're going to do it again. But that hinges on you. Balls in your court, Corinth. Are you going to choose obedience or are you going to choose disobedience? Because, you know, you want me to come to you like Mr. Nice Guy and I'll be Mr. Nice Guy, but that depends on you. Am I going to find you in obedience? Or are we going to have to clean house again? And I don't say, it, you know, people say like, wow, you know, that's kind of mean-spirited. It's Listen, it's not mean-spirited when you understand the implications of what implications the eternal implications we're talking about life and death here which is very serious you know sometimes you know like if you go to a church and you listen to the message and it's all about like rose petals and all this you're like wow i feel good i'm gonna i'm gonna go home now and write a poem i'm gonna go home now and do my watercolors and write poetry and wow i really feel good and all these things and I got a little bit of leftover crack here in the in, in the drawer. I'm going to finish off this crack. Listen. What happened then? Run away from that church. Run away from that church. Because our training, our study is in righteousness, which is not of this world. It is in righteousness. We lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us. You see? I've heard people tell me before. I want to come to church and feel good about myself. Who, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? But that only comes through obedience to the Lord in His Word, the full counsel of His Word. Old Testament and New Testament, always standing on the rock of salvation as new covenant believers. You say, wait a second, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to obey the Lord and I'm going to do these things written in the law. No, because you're not looking at it from Standing on the rock in the new covenant. You see? That's what happened in the church in Galatia. And Moses understands this concept of whole and leaven and remnant. And in order to preserve Israel, he says, Hey, look, I call heaven and earth in verse 26 that you're, you will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. You see? Because I know what leaven does. And I don't want that for Israel. You see? Just like Paul. Paul says, look, I'm going to come to you. And if we got a clean house, so be it. That's what we're going to do. You want to 
feel good about yourself, okay, obey the Lord. Obey his word. You see? Oh, Paul's so mean. Look, he told me to, 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 to leave the church. He told me that I'm committed to Satan and all these things. Why? Oh, I was having sex with my dad's wife. No big deal. You see? How crazy does that sound? Or Paul, he's so mean-spirited. He's so crazy. He told me that, yeah, that I need to be committed to Satan. And look how mean he is. That's not godly. That's not... How is that loving? God is love and that's not loving. He told me that I can't be in the fellowship that to commit me to Satan. He said all these things. Why, why did he say that, brother? Why did he say that, sister? Oh, because I, I was having sex with my dad's wife. No biggie. You see? There's a disconnect there. Pretty major. That's what was happening in Corinth. Is Paul mean-spirited? No, absolutely not. The Lord is cleaning house using his vessel. Paul. And so what do we see here? In verse 27, And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be, le and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. You see, this is so sad. Idolatry. Idolatry. And Moses in his exhortation, it, it, almost like a final exhortation, he's telling the people, don't forget because these are the things. Remember in, in, in verse 25, you're going to have your kids and grandkids and the progression of sin, which is to act corruptly, make a carved image, do evil in the sight of God. That's what happens. Notice the progression here. Everything's fine and dandy. And then the behavior changes. And with the change of behavior, now comes these different acts of actually making the carved image. And then now that you have the carved image in the aftermath of acting corruptly, now you see the actual doing of more evil. And it's all in the sight of the Lord. You can tell when somebody is estranged from Christ. You can tell when somebody hasn't been in the word. I mean, you can feel it I mean, within oneself. You can feel it. I mean, say, for example, you're like super duper busy and you read the Bible every day and you apply the Bible every day and you rinse and repeat and you're doing it for like five years. And then you hit a busy spell and you say, you know what? I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm not going to pray tonight. And then the morning comes, you go to sleep. The morning comes. Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to do the Bible today. No prayer time. You can feel, you're going to start to see the rot. You can see it in people, but you can see it in yourself. You'd be on the road and you'd be like, oh man, this lady cut me off. And you're like, oh my goodness, why is my mind going there? I want to kill her. Like, why is my mind even going there? Then you realize like, wow, my behavior, it's, it's changing. I need to get back in the Bible, man. I'm like walking in the path of forgetting the Lord. You see? And I don't want to do that. So I'm going to get back to the Bible. I'm going to go back to church. Not the phony church. Not remember the four categories of the last day's church. Not the three bad categories. The one beautiful category. I'm going to go back to that church. You see? You see the works of the flesh. They're made evident. That's why Jesus says, look at the fruit. You can see the fruit. 
the lying, the cheating, the sex, the drugs. Oh, what's the big deal? It's just a little pornography. What's the big deal? It's just Buddha. What's the deal? It's just my hot yoga class. What's the big deal? It's just Shiva. What's the big deal? It's just a little third eye. No big deal. Just a third eye so I can see better. See clearly. You open yourself up to the numos. That's a fight that few are ready for, that few are equipped for. But you want to be open to the numos. You see? So Paul says, look, if, if we're going to clean house, we're going to clean house. Rinse and repeat. And so what do we see here? In verse 28, it's like the, the end of the carnal inclination. When you see this works of the flesh in, in, in verse 25, you see the acting corruptly, making the carved image and now doing more evil. It's all in the sight of the Lord. And in verse 28, in verse 28, he says, and there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, woods and stones, neither, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. And this is the end of carnal inclination. That's when you get the three biggies are the, the, the ones that I speak of the most, the sex, the drugs, and the alcohol. You see? That's, that's what you see when you start to see corruption in the heart of a man, corruption in the heart of a woman. You can see it. It is evident. You know, a, a guy might get angry and like cuss you out. You'd be like, whoa, that's that's awfully carnal. That's awfully carnal, brother. What's up with you in the Bible? Are you, are you in the word? Are you reading the word? Are you Are you applying the word? You never said that to me before. Why are you doing that? Why is it that, you know, you want to fight this guy? Why is it that you, you know, why are you so, like, uh, sexually charged all the time? Why is it that you want to do the crack all the time? Why do you want... What is it? You see, that's... It, sometimes you can see it's, it's made evident. The works of the flesh. For all to see. But you know what else is for all to see? The works of the Spirit. And what do you see the works of the Spirit among? The remnant, always among the remnant. Old Testament and New Testament, you always see the fruit of the Spirit. And it is not just beautiful, it is glorious. Glorious. And so what do we see here in verse 29? And from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if, if, you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's what's so beautiful about the pit. Yes, the pit. I don't want anybody to get in the pit. But if you're listening today and you find yourself in the pit of your own doing, whether it be the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, look up. The most beautiful thing about the pit you can look left, you can look right, you can look in front of you, you can look behind you, you could look below you, and all you see is pit. You can dig deeper, which isn't good, but you can dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You can look all around you and all you see is pit. Dark, ugly, disgusting. But you can look up. The only direction you can look, the only direction you can look and not see pit is up. And I say this from experience. You see? 
And that's the beauty of the pit. I don't want you to be in the pit, but you might be listening and you find yourself in the pit. And if that's you, look up. Dig no more. Dig no more. And I love you. I love you. I love you. But if you're in a pit, stop digging. Let go of the shovel. And look up. And that's the exhortation of Moses here. Remember, like, you know, wow, Moses, I thought this was a pep talk. What are you talking about? Moses is telling the people, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember the Lord. Remember this. Remember that. Everything that our history, the good, the bad, the ugly of our history. Remember these things. But if it happens that, you know, you don't and you act corruptly, you make the carved image, you do evil in the sight of the Lord. I pray that you be utterly destroyed. But at the same time, in verse 29, from there in that pit that you have put yourselves in with your own shovels, the work of your own hands, the steps of your own feet, from there you will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him. But now you have the word of conditionality. If. If you seek him. With not a little bit of your heart. A divided heart where you know you love the Lord. But you also love the crack. You love the Lord. But you also love the meth. You love the Lord. But you also love the sex. The strippers. The alcohol. No. This conditionality is pretty specific. That you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And that, my beautiful friend, is the beauty of the pit. Yes, it's ugly. All around you is pit and it's dark, it's ugly, it's stinky, it's nasty. But I tell you from experience, the only way you can look and not see pit is up. And in so doing, you look to the Lord. In verse 30, when you are in distress or tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, little prophecy here, in the latter days, when you turn to, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them, you see, and this is at the revealing of the Messiah. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. The revealing of the Messiah. Remember, even the brothers of Joseph as a type of Christ didn't recognize Joseph. The tribes did not recognize Joseph. He was Zafnath Paneah. You see? A sign of Jesus Christ. And the unblinding of Israel which also aligns with prophecies of Joel, Joel, Zechariah, and what our Lord teaches, even Paul, Peter. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets and everybody a servant in the master's house led by the spirit of the Lord. Everything aligns perfectly. Everything aligns perfectly. In verse 32, for ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing on, like this has happened or any like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire? As you have heard, 
and live? When did that happen before? What people has heard the voice of the Lord? A congregation of people at Horeb. What congregation of people has heard the voice of the Lord and lived? None. None. And that's what Moses is telling the people. Don't forget. Don't forget who God is and don't forget who you are in him as his people. You see, understand that perspective is key here. In verse 34, or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? These are things that you've seen. You see? These are things that Moses is saying, don't forget. Don't forget. To you, in verse 35, it was shown that you might know that the, that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth, he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore, he chose their descendants after them, the lineage. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence. With his mighty power driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you. To bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is to this day. You see, look at the past. The past is proof. Look at everything that the Lord has done for you thus far. We're not even done, but look at everything he's done for you thus far, Israel. That's what Moses is saying. And remember these things. And in the future, it will be the same. In accordance to the prophets under the same spirit of the master's house. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart. Remember, to know this in the heart requires circumcision. A circumcision not in accordance to the old covenant. You see? In accordance to the new covenant. To know this and consider it in the heart and retain these things in the heart in order for that to happen, circumcision is required, not in accordance to the law of the flesh, but in accordance to the new covenant in the spirit, which is the heart. That's what we learned in our study in Romans. Those who are circumcised are not really circumcised, you see. In Christ is the only way a female can be circumcised. And if you're my beautiful sister in Christ, I love you. Behold the circumcision. You see, you are circumcised. Surprise. <laughs> Praise be to the Lord. You see how he works. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it will go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. Now, <laughs> this is so beautiful. Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. And I'll say, Selah. Selah, in accordance with what we looked at in 
Psalm 19, toward the rising of the sun. That the manslayer might flee who kills his neighbor unintentionally. This is from our study in Numbers 35, do you remember? Who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past. So it's not it's not premeditated murder. So, for example, as a little refresher course in our, in our Numbers 35 study, say, for example, we're in these times, you and me, and we're building a house. Okay, you and me, we're building a house. And... Um, uh, I'm, I'm on the roof and you're on the ground and I'm on the roof and I say, Hey, um, hand me that board and you ha get the board and you lift it up. You hand over the board and I grab it and I lift up the board, but I lose my balance. And all of a sudden I fall, I hit my head on a big stone and I'm dead. I die. Now you killed me. It was an accident. But you killed me. It was completely, it wasn't premeditated. It's not like we hated each other. You hated me and you took the board and you pushed the board off and I fell off because you pushed me. That would be premeditated. There was no hatred in your heart, but I died nonetheless. My, my skull is shattered. It's you know, open, blood all over the place. And then my brothers come and they see what you've done to me. And now all of a sudden they want to kill you. You see, that's what happened. This is all in accordance to the law. And this is the law along with the natural man. And now you see how there's provisions in the law to protect the natural man from the natural man. You see, that's, remember, the law as a tutor. <laughs> Even in the Old Testament, we see the law as a tutor to address the inclinations of the natural man. So that's kind of like a little rundown of our Numbers 35 study, but that's applicationally how it would work. And in verse 42, that uh, these three cities that were set apart on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, Selah, <laughs> that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past and that by fleeing to one of these cities, he might live. So in that example I gave, my brothers want to kill you because they think like, wow, you killed, you killed this guy. You killed my brother. You killed my brother. So now we're going to kill you. Now what you do is you flee to these cities. You get out of Dodge and you go to one of these cities. He says it, it's uh, like a, a, a sanctuary city, you know, not the sanctuary city that you see that the liberals are establishing in, in, in cities, but a biblical sanctuary city. In verse 43, Bezer in the wilderness of the plateau of the Reubenites, Remoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. You see, this is from our Numbers 35, 14 study, how there's three on one side and three on the other side. There's three on this side, uh, on this side of the Jordan, are Bezer, Remoth, and Golan. Beautiful, beautiful Golan. If you're Jewish and you're listening, the beautiful, beautiful Golan. And I'll say, on this side of the Jordan, toward the rising of the sun, Selah. Verse 44. Now this is the law which, is, which Moses set before the children of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgment which the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt on this side of the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. So already there's a lot of history already. Already there's a lot of history. And Moses is saying, remember this, guys. 
remember this, guys. Now, even with Abraham, if we look to our study in Genesis, even with Abraham, you look at the span of Abraham's life when the Lord was speaking to him, the span of a hundred years of this conversing with God, but it was sparse. It wasn't just a hundred year conversation. It was sparse. Year one, the Lord speaks and Abraham obeys. And it's not just year one and, you know, there was a conversation every day, every second of every day for a hundred years. You'd see like five years later, the Lord would speak. Ten years later, the Lord would speak. Twenty years later, the Lord would speak. And every time the Lord would come to Abraham, he found Abraham in obedience. You see? There was a, there were several moments of correction. Several moments of correction of which some of the family disputes are pending correction. But it was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness sake. And I say that to put things in perspective because a lot of times if you follow the Lord experientially, there's danger behind that. Now you're going to have beautiful experiences in the Lord as you abide in Christ. And you're going to have beautiful experiences. But if you chase after the experiences, there's danger behind that. Because a lot of times, you know, when you follow after feelings, feelings can be manipulated. You see, feelings can be manipulated. Talk to anybody who's had a crummy boyfriend or a crummy girlfriend. Feelings can be manipulated. You see, and I'm not trying to suggest that the Lord can do that. But when I say if we follow after feelings, well, if we open ourselves to the pneumos, those feelings can be manipulated. It's not to say that we're closed to the pneumos. It's to say, let's mature and understand this aspect of the pneumos because it is highly, highly spiritual. It's also highly, highly dangerous. But with maturity, you can do more dangerous things and have this deeper understanding of danger. Like, say you go camping. Are you going to tell your, you know, two-year-old child to make the campfire? No, because it's dangerous. You see? Now, the child's going to grow up and you go camping when they're 15. Okay, baby girl, make the fire. You see? Son, make the fire. Baby girl, make the fire. No big deal. Because they've grown. They've matured. They understand. Now they can handle this. They can handle the pneumos because they understand. You see? Maturity. Now, we see here in verse 47, in closing, And they took possession of his, of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. You see? <laughs> toward the rising of the sun. I'll add, which comes from the east, Selah. If you hearken to what we referenced in Psalm 19, and just as a quick reference point, Psalm 19, verse 5, which, you know, it, it, verse at the end of verse 4, in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Selah. <laughs> in verse 48, from Aroer, which is on the bank of the river are known even to Mount Sion, that is Hermon, and all the plain on the east 
side of the Jordan as far as the Sea of the Arabah below the slopes of Pisgah. You see how beautiful these passages are? So incredibly beautiful for Moses, understanding that he's restricted from the promised land as a result of his own disobedience and misrepresentation of the Lord. But at the same time, remember that he was at the transfiguration. There's the spiritual aspect. You know, we're looking at Israel in accordance to the flesh. But at the same time, this first generation, understand that this first generation must die. That is symbolic of me and you dying, being dead to the desires of the flesh, but being alive in Christ as we reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. You see, born again, born again into Christ, death of Adam and life in Christ. We're going to end our study here and Lord willing, pick up in chapter five next week to the beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.